to the Dissident Daughters podcast. I am Ada, and I have a really special guest today. I'm very excited um, to interview Rachel from Post-Mormon Parenting. Um, welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Ada. It's so good to, to be here with you today, and good to meet you. Yes, you too. And so, okay, so I think I found you on Instagram, and I don't know how. I just, I think, uh, I also think I maybe found you on TikTok first. So, but I wanted to kind of talk really quick about all your platforms. So you have a YouTube channel that I discovered, you know, after I asked you to interview and then I like went and found you and I was like, holy crap, you have a whole bunch of content there. You also have a TikTok, Instagram page, just like you're doing a whole bunch of amazing work. Kind of I, the way I would describe it is you're putting content out there to kind of help people figure out parenting after Mormonism. Is that kind of the basics? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm no parenting expert. I am not a therapist. Like there are a lot of really, really excellent people to follow online. And I follow a tons of those. And I like to share what, what they post basically. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I like to kind of like guide, um, be like a guidepost, you know, Oh, here's yes. something that's really helpful. Let's all, you know, dive right into this. Oh, here's something that came up in church news recently. Let's all dive into this and talk and deconstruct together. So definitely not coming from a place of like expertise for my own, uh, like for parenting in general. However, I do share a lot of my own parenting journey and deconstructing uh, my whole parenting paradigm, my worldview really because of oh. growing up in a very, very orthodox family, a uh, very Mormon setting my whole life. And so I, I love being able to share things that are like, oh my gosh, this is mind blowing for me. I want everybody else to be able to find this also. And then yes. we can have good conversations together. I love the comment sections of things. And I love when people can like stitch videos on TikTok and we can go back and forth and we can all yeah. learn from each other because we all have so much wisdom to mm -hmm. share. So if we can kind of like compile that in this online digital space, and be able to work through that together, like, oh my gosh, we can really benefit from each other so much. And that is what I love. That's my passion. Yes. Um, so yeah, I am on YouTube and, uh, and TikTok and Instagram. I am on Facebook, but like, I don't really get a whole lot of engagement on Facebook. That's not usually where people find me. And so I don't end up posting on there a lot. It's yeah. Also, uh, I don't get paid for any, anything. I don't get any advertising or whatever. So it's all just, you know, a labor of love and just yeah. um, things yeah. that I find are, are really relevant. Yeah. Well, and that is a really important thing to point out is like, this is just a labor of love for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. who's kind of in this space, other than like the really big um, podcasters or YouTubers, like we're just doing this because we want to help others through this process. Like that's genuinely why I got to this space. And like, I wanted to hear other women's voices and I wanted to hear different perspectives and different, like there's so many different areas that Mormonism touches, right? Like it's not just a religion, like it's an, an entire way of life. And so it definitely like parenting after Mormonism, that was a huge, huge, huge thing for me because I think initially I felt a lot of fear about not being in the church while parenting. And, and I think it might be a big reason why people sometimes stay in the church is because they think my kids need it. Um, I don't know how to parent outside of the church. Like 
there's no, there's no other way to do this. Like this is the only way to parent your kid is in the church. And that's how we were indoctrinated. So immediately there's this shift and you're like, oh crap, now what do I do? How do I even, where do I even start with parenting now that I've left the church, you know, or now that I no longer believe in the church. So, and, and it affects every other thing too, you know, your relationships, your marriage, your, you know, education, like your political views. Like, I think just that whole Mormon shift um, or shift after you leave Mormonism is so important. So yeah, parenting is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. And so, yeah, I just, I love what you're putting out and the content that you, that you share with us is super helpful and you are super wise. So um, don't discount what you're doing, even if you aren't, you know, a, an expert therapist, child, uh, psychologist, whatever, you know, like, I still think like I, I've gained a whole bunch of great, great things from just listening to all your YouTube videos and watching, you know, I listened to your podcasts, um, episodes where you were interviewed on Mormon stories and on emancipate your mind and really, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you're right. It is when you first leave, it's like flailing your arms. You're a fish out of water. Don't know what to do. And so I was fortunate enough to have the time and the means and the wherewithal to be able to like really dive into lots of different parenting books mm-hmm. and um, podcasts and, and following like actual parenting experts. And, uh, and so if I am wise, or if I have any wisdom, like that's where it's coming from. Um, so I made that like my homework almost on a daily basis mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And so I do love being able to share those really, really helpful resources. And I'm so glad that that was helpful to you. Oh Maybe yeah. It was mind blowing for me. And so I'm glad that it was helpful to you. And I know it's been helpful to many others as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> I think I told you this, like I had pages and pages and pages of notes. Like I, I have just like, uh, I kind of keep a journal, like a blog online or whatever. And I'm like listening to your YouTube videos and your podcast. And I'm just like voraciously typing <laughs> all my notes or all the thoughts that are coming as you're talking. I'm like, oh, I have to write this down. I have to write this down. I have to write this down, you know? And by the end of it, I have pages and pages and pages of notes. So, so yeah, it was, it was all super helpful. And I think because, and it's hard because I'm sure not everyone has the same experience, but in my experience, the way um, we were indoctrinated in the church really shaped how we parented. I, I believe that was my experience in that, like, there's this idea of God and strict obedience and him being our parent and having, you know, like not questioning what the rules are, just do what you're supposed to do. That kind of idea. It's a very like authoritarian type parenting model, I guess. Um, is that kind of what you experienced and and how you kind of showed up in your parenting as a, a believing Mormon? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yes. And I want to make space for, like you said, not everybody had this experience. I think a lot of people were able to grow up in the church, maybe not being in such an orthodox black and white, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, authoritarian centered environment. And so when they, when they leave the church or they transition out of it, maybe it's not such a difficult transition for them. Yeah. Um, but for, for people like us, it is huge. It is a mm-hmm. massive shift. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about like authoritarian parenting, uh, just to be clear, we're talking about this style of parenting that says, I am the authority figure. 
and you have to do what I say. And I have all these rules for you mm-hmm. and I don't need to explain myself to you. Like I'm yes. just, I'm the one in charge and you're the one that's submissive and you just need to do. And it's just mm-hmm. like, like the first lesson in the Bible, right? Like Adam and Eve, they get cast out of the garden and Adam builds an altar to God and an angel comes and says, why are you doing this? And Adam says, I know not just that I was told to do this. Yeah. And that was like, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. This is the model of how you are supposed to behave. God will tell you what to do. You mm-hmm. do not ask why. Um, or maybe you do, but it doesn't matter. Like he, he probably isn't going to tell you. Anyways, right. it's a test of your faith, a test of your character. How yeah. far are you willing to go for him? Would you even kill your son? Like uh, Abraham yes. and Isaac, how far are you willing to go uh, again without asking? And so yes. authoritarian parenting says, I am going to give you these rules. And uh, if you don't, if you don't follow the, like you can choose, right? You have your agency. Uh-huh. But if you choose not to follow my rules, yeah, I see you doing agency air quotes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you choose not to, you will face the consequences. Yep. Now, as an authoritarian parent, you get to decide what those consequences are are they going to be you take away the child's phone or you spank them or you yell at them or you put them in timeout or you isolate them in some other way or you ground them or uh you you know take away their car keys or privileges or whatever or all sorts of different kinds of consequences that we you shame them Uh uh-huh what you did was morally wrong morally bad was sinful even yes yes and so that's how i grew up Mm -hmm. that's how I was raised in the church. That was my understanding of this Old Testament kind of God mm-hmm. who is just ruthless. Um, and Jesus comes along and offers us some grace. But still, still, there's this really yeah. big degree of there are laws irrevocably decreed in heaven that yeah. when you do uh, good things, you get rewards. And when you do bad things, you get punishment. Yeah. So that was my mindset all growing up. And that was like, I was so so all in to the church I read like I read the scriptures front cover to cover over and over and over again and went to you know all four years of seminary early morning seminary and went to BYU graduated there with a bachelor's in psychology and even there even in my like with my psychology degree one of my biggest takeaways there that really resonated with me was this uh, idea of like behavioral conditioning if we want to that train people or animals or whatever, yeah. you give them a stimulus, uh, which is like a command or whatever, and mm-hmm. then they have the response, which is what they do, and then you give the reward or consequences. Pavlov's dog, you know, classical conditioning and operant conditioning. Um, and so, like, that was my mindset. So, going yeah. into having children, right? Now, mm-hmm. I, I'm under the impression that obedience is the first law in heaven. Oh. Yeah, and um, because don't we hear that from all of the missionaries oh, yeah. that I wrote letters to, you know, and oh, and brothers gosh. who had come home for missions and talk about how this was the number one things that their mission presidents would say. Yeah. So of course they internalized that as well. It goes along really well with my whole paradigm already. Yes. Um. So this is how I was going to raise my kids. Now I did mm-hmm. it with as much gentleness as I could. I don't want to set up this idea that there is this false dichotomy that either you are an authoritarian parent or you are not an authoritarian parent like there's a there can be like overlap I was yeah yeah I was kind with my children yeah and I I was loving with them I gave them warmth and 
perfection. Uh-huh. And I was a hard stickler about these rules. Mm-hmm. And if you break a rule, you face the consequence. And we can talk about it afterward. And we can talk about why, what happened, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you still have to obey mommy yeah. and daddy. So I, I saw that this was backfiring. I saw that this was ending up, like, being really detrimental to my children, especially mm-hmm. my firstborn, because he uh, was developing an anxiety disorder. Um, mm-hmm. And feeling really unsafe even at home yeah um I didn't know what to do I tried looking at other kind of parenting books at the time and I was still totally all in with the church Mm -hmm. and all the other parenting books that I could get my hands on like love and logic um can't remember other ones right now so I'm trying to find like I I see this is not really working but I I can't really see why it's not working Mm -hmm. I can't see what alternatives there might be. And I just don't really know where to go from here. And the resources that I'm finding aren't very helpful. So I'm just like, I guess I'll just stick it out. And maybe this is a phase he'll grow out of, you know? Anyways, excuse me. Further down the road, uh, my husband ends up having a faith crisis. And he stops Mm. believing in the church. My kids at this age are like six. My oldest is six and then five, and then three. And, you know, that totally rocks my world, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you can relate to, because you said yep. your husband stopped believing mm-hmm. first, right? So we were in this mm-hmm. mixed faith marriage, uh, weird kind of place uh, that mm-hmm. you're thrust into. You're like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. <laughs> this totally. is not what our contract was. Yeah. Um, and, and did so you, you immediately have that. fear about raising your kids because your husband now didn't believe? Like, Absolutely. Was- yeah. Yeah. Pressure's on me now. Yeah. to bring our kicking and screaming to salvation. <laughs> so we were in this weird kind of mixed faith space for a while. And yeah. uh, and I would just grieve so much about how much of a loss that was. Now, he wouldn't be able to participate in some of the most meaningful uh, moments in our children's lives, baptism, mm-hmm. um, confirmations, and uh, setting apart and stuff. And father's blessings and and blessings when they're sick and all that all sorts of things totally, and, yes. um, and so and that was so terrifying and heartbreaking it was really really difficult so we were in that space for about six oh also hey shout out to marriage on the tightrope podcast for helping us get through that yeah <laughs> I know you uh, had some experience with that as well it is just such a lifesaver when you're in that space yeah, so for me you know that only ended up lasting about six months and then I found some things and ended up having my own faith crisis and transition. And at that point, I realized, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Not, none of it, none of it is true. None of what I was told was true. Wow. And so I started looking into uh, other things that I just never even really considered before. I started reading it into Buddhism, um, mm. listened to secular Buddhism podcast, uh, which is also produced by someone who's post-Mormon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Okay. I haven't ever listened to it. I'll have to go check it out. Secular Buddhism is the name. Okay. And I wish I could remember his name, but it's just not coming to me right now. Okay. Um, Noah Rochetta. That's right. Oh, okay. I really started getting into Buddhism and this idea of, um, instead of assigning a moral judgment to everything that happens and every behavior and everything let's assign curiosity to it instead mm-hmm. let's be that that watcher 
that says, oh, this happened. Why did that happen? And this helped me really dig deep into deconstructing all my different beliefs. Why did I believe this? Why was it like that? What am I still going to hold on to and why? And maybe my children's behavior and my behavior, maybe there's not necessarily a moral judgment component to it that needs a punishment or a reward for this moral act. Maybe I can just be curious. Why did my son have a tantrum? Why did my daughter bite her little sister? Why uh, are they kicking things around the house? Why is he dumping all of his toys out that we just put away? Yeah. And don't you, didn't you like sometimes have, I don't know, like I always, it was always about me. Like, why is he trying to piss me off right now? Like, like, he's making me so mad. And I think that I, I thought that way because that's the way I saw my mom behave. Like as a Mm -hmm. child, I was always like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I didn't want to upset her. She had a short fuse. She would get really angry and it was always our fault. Right. And so I think I just like grew up with that idea. And so then when my kid is like, why is he being so stubborn? Why won't he just bend his will to mine? Like, I just want him to do what I want him to do. And why is he being so difficult? He's just trying to make me mad, you know? Like, oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was like his moral failing um, that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how to exactly describe it. But obviously, like, there was all this, like, fear and anxiety that was the driving force of my parenting. Like, if I can't make him be this way and, like, you know, you have to push down the natural man. You have to, you know, n- try to become more like God. And and our entire worth is like wrapped up in our kids behaving a certain way. And so it's like this really rigid thinking and all this anxiety or fear of them making a mistake. So when my son really resisted all of that control and authoritarian parenting, I just like wrapped my you know, the, the chains around him tighter and tighter and tighter, just to like try harder to, and like hold on tighter and tighter. And that there was a point, even when I was in the church where I was like, this is absolutely not working. Like this is, this is not working. It's, it's never going to work. And so, and so as I loosened up a little bit, I would start to see that, Oh, like he chills out when I chill out. <laughs> that's so interesting yeah yeah because guess what don't we all love the idea of free agency and our own autonomy and guess what our kids really like that too (laughs) what did you know that's one of the key ingredients for good mental health is feeling like you have a a good degree of self-autonomy and our this is important for ourselves to understand as well as we deconstruct these ideas that we had in the church and the control you know the controlling environment that we were in there mm-hmm. to gain a sense of our own autonomy and be able to make decisions and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong for us and our children really really need that too and so i'm so glad you brought that up because this is something that does not exist in authoritarian parenting right but we can now shift to that in what we call authoritative parenting and authoritative parenting is uh it's more like I see that there are skills that my child needs to learn just like walking you know my kid my kid needs Mm -hmm. to learn how to walk 
And if they fall down while they're learning how to walk, there's no punishment. There's no timeout. There's no hitting. There's no yelling. There's no shaming. Right. I help encourage them to get back up again. We can do a game. Come tell mommy. I do all the, like the fun, the smiles and give them like so much encouragement and celebration with them. And we celebrate the wins. We don't necessarily shame the failures. Right. And, and it seems so obvious when you use yeah. that example of them teaching yes. them how to walk, right? It's obvious that of course you're not going to shame them or punish them for falling down. But then when it's something else, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like emotional regulation, let's say emotional yeah. regulation is a skill. People don't just like, oh, they are doing it or they're not doing it. No, they're honing their skills over years and years. And don't we all know some adults who still aren't very good at it, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're honing skills. We don't need to be punishing our children when they have a tantrum, when they have an outburst, when they lose control. Cause we do that too, don't we? Right. Even as adults, like we're still not perfect at that emotional regulation. Yeah. And and so we can be curious about like, oh, my kid had a tantrum. He threw his shoes across the house. What's going on? Instead of go to your room right now or yeah. stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Right. And that's how it's different when you're an authoritarian parent. It's totally okay for you as a parent to have a tantrum and to freak out and get angry, but it's not okay for your child, right? Because you're like, I'm the parent, so I can do whatever I want, but you have to do what I say, you know? And that's like such a huge shift of like when it's an authoritative style, you're more on like equal footing, would you say? Like with your child, like you're not saying that I'm the, I'm the end all be all of everything my way or the highway, right? It's like, Hey, we're working through this together. Is that kind of, am I getting that right? Exactly. Yeah. As an authoritarian parent, authoritarian parent, you set yourself up as the moral authority in the house. And so if kids aren't doing what you tell them to do, then that is their moral failing. Uh, And if you as the parent, as the authoritarian parent, have a big reaction to that, that's justified. Mm -hmm. If God himself has a big reaction to um, the Israelites uh, (laughs) down to a golden calf, and he has a very big reaction to that, 100% justified because he's the moral authority. Um, But if they have a big reaction to him, you know, scattering everybody, making them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's again, their moral feeling. So, so that's, that's another one of the reasons why authoritarian style parenting and authoritarian style religions too, are so harmful. And they really crush uh, our our children's spirits. We don't really want to crush them. (laughs) We want them to grow up and be healthy, uh, have fulfilling lives um, and, and have good mental health and have a good degree of autonomy, et cetera. So yeah yeah so and I think it's so tempting to believe like as a total side note sorry it's tempting to think like okay so if we're not going to be authoritarian and have all these rules and consequences for breaking the rules then I have to be the opposite which is permissive parenting and I have no rules or I don't enforce the rules or whatever yeah that That was me I I did that actually it was like this pendulum swing you know Um, and suddenly I think like I threw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I just got way too relaxed. Um, I was trying to be very, um, empathetic and, um, and, and show tons of love and almost like just too, um, 
maybe too much of a degree. Like I just went so far the other direction. I stopped, you know, telling my kids what to do ever. And like, everything's fine. Everything's okay. You know, which I I ended up being way too much of a permissive parent. I feel like, like I went through that phase as well. And then, okay, I need to come back to the middle because, well, you tell us why a child's really children, sorry, really do need, you know, some direction from their parents. You know, if you're just being completely permissive as a parent, that can have some, some detrimental effects as well. Absolutely. So authoritarian parenting, you're not really teaching your, your kids a, a whole lot of skills. You're not teaching them social skills or yeah. self, you know, emotion regulation, um, how to resolve conflicts of all sorts of different kinds of like interpersonal skills. You're not teaching them any of that. You're just punishing them when they make mistakes, but you're not really taking an active role. In fact, you're, you're, uh, discouraging them from trying new things because they're afraid of getting punished or from using think, their critical thinking right like that's right yeah shut they, down and just thinking. be a robot do, do the things yeah 100%. permissive parenting again you're not really teaching kids the skills that they need you're taking a very hands-off approach and saying oh they'll figure it out like no they won't we all know adults who don't have things figured out um, yeah. I'm an adult who doesn't have a whole lot of things figured out. <laughs> uh, our kids absolutely need us to read up, to be well-read, to be educated, and to understand how we can hone these skills in our own lives and then how we can teach that to them. Because it's one thing to know how to ride a bike. It's another thing to know how to teach somebody to ride oh. a bike. So oh. learning how to teach them these skills is uh, is super important. Here's what authoritative parenting may look like. So we have rules in the house. Don't hit anybody. Like that's so unkind. Um, we want to be respectful of other people. We want to uh, uh, be nice and be thoughtful and be empathetic. Those are our values. Uh-huh. So when my kid does something that goes against those values, we need to have a sit down. Uh, we might need to uh, take the kid out of the situation, especially if they're having a tantrum and being in the situation, being around the people there is aggravating to them. So I mm. might actually go ahead and put my kid, like help them go to their room, have some books. Here's a drink of water. Go ahead and chill out. We're just going to de-escalate. So see how mm. that's different from a timeout. You sit in the corner, you don't move, you don't talk, you don't do anything, you know, yeah. totally different. We're going to take some time for calming down. And then when our emotions have, you know, uh, calmed down a little bit, we're no longer seeing red, we can start thinking more clearly about what happened and why. And then we can have a conversation about that. What happened and and why did that happen? What is it you need? What is your body trying to tell you? Are you hungry? Mm. Are you tired? Did somebody make fun of you at school today and you've got all of that um, boiling up inside you? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what happened and why, and then what should we do about that next time? Next time you're feeling a little bit hungry, maybe let's take care of your body first yeah. before you go play outside, before you, it gets mm. to be the you know, wild out of control thing. So that's how we're teaching our kids to recognize what's going on inside of them, yeah. take care of their own needs, be responsible for their own needs and for taking care of themselves and like and also coming out their bodies yes 
Yep. And of course, we're going to make up for it afterward. We're going to come out. We're going to apologize to the sibling who got hurt or anyone else who felt threatened in the house because shoes were thrown or whatever. Uh Um, Yelling or whatever it is. Um, We're going to make it up to them. I'm so sorry I did that. I was, you know, totally out of line. I'm going to take steps to take care of myself. and, And I promise that won't happen again. That's the kind of stuff that we're looking at with authoritative parenting. And I do want to, again, I do want to make sure that I recognize and give space for the people who are members of the church and members of other high demand religions uh, who are really making it work, who are really doing a great job of being authoritative parents. I really don't want to give the impression that I think that all Mormons are authoritarian parents because that was my experience. That's definitely not, you know, not, not the case. Yeah. Um, I do think that it is. So interesting because I see so many parallels between the way we are taught about God and how we're supposed to obey and um, the prophet and how we're just supposed to obey. It's like the entire church system is a very authoritarian system. And I do think that it's very common to fall into that, that pattern of thinking and being and parenting. And um, so I, I do think it's very common, but I think you're right. There are parents who figure it out and who are very good at, you know, setting expectations and not requiring their kid to obey unquestioningly, but, but to, you know, give them reasoning and understanding and, and some of those things. But when you're, when you're raised in a system that is 100% authoritarian, um, I remember like my cousin, um, I, I just had a cousin that just happened to like make a Facebook post about how her, her mom taught her that no matter what you follow the prophet and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what he says. And she was like going on and on about how grateful she was for that teaching because it it didn't matter. She always knew like what to do because she would follow the prophet. So then she was talking about how she's taught her kids this. And I just wanted to scream like, oh. I, that just screamed of like, this is not healthy. Like, how do we not see that this is not healthy, that there is like one moral authority and you don't give yourself any of your own authority to like make a decision. Like it all comes down to this one person and what they say. And we unquestioningly um, follow them. That's just, ah, it makes me cringe so bad. Oh, same. That really, really hurts to hear stuff like that. And, the, and, but I totally remember being in that exact same spot and yes. celebrating this idea that, yeah, we have a prophet on the earth and we have apostles and we have the enzyme magazine and general yeah. conference and all the things that tell us what to do totally. and tell us, oh, what is right and what is wrong. And yeah, so we and don't it makes have to, so easy, right? like, so yeah, we don't have to play any of our own critical thinking. We don't have to think things through and ask the why behind it I would so much rather teach my kids to ask the why behind everything and that way they can make sure that they're not getting into any kind of unhealthy relationships with other people or organizations Uh in their lives yes and it gives them a lot more confidence right like when Mm -hmm. they have their own um when they can have input on like what's happening in the household, what the rules are, or what the consequences are. And when they get to have like their own autonomy about decisions and, and things that happen to them, like they're way more confident. I know for sure that that was one of the first things I saw in my son, like 
a, a reflection of the way I was parenting him was his lack of confidence, his like mm-hmm. questioning himself and his like genuinely thinking that he was a failure or whatever. And I recognized that that was because of the way I was parenting him. 100% the exact same with my oldest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So We're sure. it, it is so painful to see that and difficult to try to undo that too, because that's what they learned during their formative years. And so isn't it true. so difficult for yeah. us as we know to unpack and unlearn and deconstruct those things that we learned in our formative years? It takes a long time, an achingly long time and is difficult in the process. Yeah. And for our children to have to do that is just heartbreaking. Totally. Really. Really. I, I think I said this to you a couple of weeks ago about like, I will never not be sad about that. Like that is something I can't go back and change the past about. And it's super hard for me. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to be paying for your therapy for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can at least do that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we'll get to some of that. So, but I did want to talk about like, okay, when, when you leave the church and your whole paradigm comes crashing down and you think, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to teach my kids out of the church? Like how, like one of my biggest concerns was how are my kids going to have any moral values? How do I transition out of that reward and punishment, you know, arbitrary punishment type of thinking? And um, how do I get to a place where I don't feel frustrated by having to give reasons? You know what I mean? Like it's easy to be an authoritarian authoritarian parent where you're like, I don't have to explain why, just do it. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. it's more work for sure to try to explain reasons and, and give, give more explanations and allow for more discussion and open reasoning about things. So what, what are your tips for how to get there? I know you talked about the five E's of like humanist discipline. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So a couple of things, we'll talk about the five E's of, dis- of humanist discipline, talk about values and how to go about, you know, what do I value now? Yes. And, um, one other thing that I wrote down about, about our skills. Okay. So the five E's of humanist discipline. So for anyone who is not familiar, the term humanism, it, it gets thrown around here and there. And the actual definition is kind of hard to pin down, but in the right. way that I use it, it, it means we believe that as humans, we can tap into our own moral authority and we don't need to look to uh, some kind of divine or supernatural uh, moral authority for us. Okay. So the exact opposite of everything we learned in church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And okay. some of you don't know that when I was a psychology student at BYU, I wrote papers arguing against this, arguing against mm-hmm. this kind of moral relativism and how bad it is. And here I am like totally embracing it. My yeah. younger self is like kicking and screaming inside. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a totally new, new mindset to have. Um, but I think there's so much value to it. So um, the five E's of humanist discipline, this is how we're going to, while we're teaching our children the skills that they need to learn, that we want them to learn, we're going to use these five E's uh, in order to do that. So the first one is example. We lead by example. Uh, I can show them 
how important it is to apologize because I apologize. I apologize yes. for my mistakes. Um, so we, we lead by example. That one's pretty self-explanatory. We model things for them. We mm-hmm. model, oh, and uh, conflict resolution. I don't mm-hmm. say, you do this because I told you to do this and you're getting on my nerves. No, we talk things through and we come to an agreement on what we're going to do. And then we both do our part of what we agreed to do. Ah. So we, we lead by, by example, we model things for them. The next E is explanation. And this one, I cannot overemphasize how important it is to have the explanations because then again, this is going to help them develop their critical thinking that there should always be a why, a reason behind what we do, what we say, what we expect of each other, always ask for the reason why. Um, And so I'm going to model that, that that's important by giving them an explanation for things that they need to do. Okay. The third E is empathy. We're going to lead with empathy. If I, you know, I can see how difficult it is to be kind to other people when I am in turmoil inside because I'm grieving over something or I'm so angry at something. It's harder for me to ha- to uh, be kind uh, outside of myself. And maybe so, maybe I just need a little time alone in that case. Um, if I can see the same thing happening in my kid, why would I expect them to have better behavior than I would expect from myself? I can mm. have empathy for them and understand maybe this time right now, it's too much to ask them to share their toys with their cousins or whatever, or to uh, go to their cousins and, and put on a happy face when mm. they're having a hard time inside. I can have empathy for them and um, maybe be malleable with the things that I expect of them at any given time. Interesting. Okay. So I want to say something about empathy. Yeah. I, in my experience, I feel like, um, unconditional love is really tied to empathy because when, like the way we were taught love in the church, I feel like was very conditional. Like that word, like, I love you uh, unconditionally really, it really wasn't unconditional because there was all these expectations on it. Like, like the, the God that we were taught about in church, I felt like there were all these expectations. It's like, I love you as long as, or I'll show you love as long as this, this, and this. And I think that that brings in some judgment towards other people. And then therefore, like when you're judging someone, you can't empathize with them, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like those two things were so intertwined of like, it's like this manipulative love, like, um, love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm sorry, but that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And that's not an unconditional love and that, and you therefore cannot have true empathy for mm-hmm. the person. If you are hating what they are doing, then you can't truly love them and therefore you can't truly empathize with them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And a key component of empathy is being curious, asking, but why are they doing what they are doing? Maybe I hate what they're doing, but why are they doing it? Maybe I hate that my kid is screaming right now. Maybe I'm getting sensory overload and it's like the fire alarms are going off in my brain now because my kid is screaming and I can't handle it. And I can feel my heat rising. My heart rate is increasing. I'm starting to sweat. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I can take it down a notch 
and take a breath and ask why, why is my kid screaming? Instead of like, I just don't understand you. And you're being so bad and naughty. You need to go to your room or whatever. Yeah. Um, Asking that why that's going to help me empathize with her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being curious. Yeah. I love that. Round number four, the fourth E is encouragement. We're going to be their biggest cheerleader. Just like when our babies are learning how to walk, we are so encouraging. You are doing it. You're doing such a great job. Look how you got up again and again and again. And I'm here for you. And I'm here to celebrate all these wins with you. And I want to take a little side note to say encouragement is a little bit different from praise. When we think about praise, we're talking more about like, how it affects me. I like your performance. I like the way that you're dressed. I like how you look. I like the way that you walked. I, you know, it, it makes it more about you as the parent. Encouragement okay. really puts the attention back where it should be, which is on the child. You are getting up and trying again. You are doing something new. You are learning a new skill that you've never learned before. I see you working hard. Yeah. And that's a big, that's a big difference. So yeah. And that's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to kind it of is. like, is it the difference between like, you look so pretty today and like, you did such a good job at, at combing your hair or something like, is that, or am I absolutely, I, so, okay. So from the time my, my girls were born, basically, I have almost never, ever told them that they are pretty or that they're beautiful. Instead, I want to praise and, and encourage them uh-huh. um, for like a growth mindset. I see you're working hard at this particular skill because mm-hmm. what good does it do to compliment somebody on something that they have absolutely no control over? Wow. I see you have 10 fingers and 10 toes. I really <laughs> like that. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, thanks. Like I was born that way. Like yeah. that's not helpful at all. And it gives us the, this idea that we have worth based on these unchangeable qualities about ourselves. And that just leads to like, and if for some reason I feel like, oh, I have lost that unchangeable quality about myself and I can't get it back, how absolutely devastating to my sense of self-worth. So I do not compliment them Mm -hmm. on their looks. Um, However, if like my, my daughters love to play with makeup and they love to play with hair stuff and they love to put on dresses. My son did too, until a certain age. And then he's like, Hey, it's not cool to do that anymore. So I'm not gonna, (laughs) but, but we can celebrate those things with them. Like, wow, your face is so colorful. You put on matching things and oh my gosh, how did you get your hair to look like that? Wow. That dress is so spinny. You see how that really, Uh. it puts the uh, emphasis more on I see the things that you did and you like that. And so I will celebrate that with you. Yeah. And it's less about what I like. Like, I think you're, I think you're beautiful. Look how pretty you are. You know, it's not, that's more about right. And what I think is they did and what, you know, they accomplished or they worked hard on or. Yes. Yep. And so what they're going to learn from that is it is a value to try hard. This is one of the values in our house mm-hmm. that we put forth effort and that we keep trying. And that if you fall while you're learning how to walk, you just get right back up. And if you have a mm-hmm. tantrum or you blow up at somebody while you're learning self-regulation, it's okay. You try again. You're not a bad person. You're not uh, a terrible daughter. Uh, if you made this mistake, um, this is not a reflection on who you are. You are growing and 
I see the work that you're putting in and mm-hmm. I can respect that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. The last E of the five E's of humanist discipline is engagement. And so, so opposite from obedience, where we tell kids what to do and expect them to do what we say. Instead, we're going to engage with our kids in these skill building practices. Um, I sat down with my uh, one of my kids and said, I see that you've been having lots of tantrums lately. Um, what do you think we should do about that? Like, how would you like me to respond when you're having a tantrum and when you're out of control? Because when she's in that mindset, like there's no reasoning with her, (laughs) absolutely not anything you say can and will be used against you. (laughs) (laughs) So, so how in a calm moment, we made a plan together on what exactly is going to happen during those times. And it was total engagement and cooperation and so now when she does feel like she has escalated and she's seeing red we have a plan we know exactly what to do and she is on board because she helped create that plan yeah I love that I I think kids are way more when they're engaged they're way more likely to follow through with something to work on problems and solutions and like um, to follow the rules essentially to do, to do what they are supposed to be doing. But like when they're engaged in making the rules, like they're way more likely to, to follow them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to add, um, another thing that happened as a result of my deconstructing and changing with parenting is that instead of having this list of rules, like thou shalt not, right. Instead we have our values. We are going to act in accordance with our values. If my daughter is having a tantrum, she is not acting in accordance with our family values of having a safe, uh, emotionally safe environment at home for all of us. Um, And so like, we need to take care of that and, and address what's going on behind the, the problem and how we can show up better for each other and act more in accordance with our values. And if your child is engaged in that, you know, creating that list of values, you mm-hmm. can, it's much easier to go back and say, remember how we talked about that this was a value, you know, and then, mm-hmm. and you aren't following that value, are you? Or, you know, like, and maybe that helps them to understand it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a nice segue into the next part that we want to talk about how we transition into this uh, more healthy style, authoritative style of parenting. Um, yeah. So we've got the five E's of humanist discipline. Next is our values. Like, how do we determine our values? I used to value obedience for the sake of being obedient. Obedience yeah. itself was the first thought in heaven. It was a number one value. My kids needed to learn this from me so that they would grow up and be obedient members of the church. And then they'd be obedient members of heavenly father. And then they'd go to the celestial kingdom and be obedient, you know, there too, so that they could make it, so that they could make it to the top. Um, I no longer think that obedience for the sake of obedience is a value because I asked the why, why am I valuing this? And when it came down to it, I realized that is not healthy and that is not what I want. And that's leading to some pretty negative outcomes that I don't like. So instead I encourage everybody to sit down for just a few minutes. It doesn't have to take a long time, even just like 60 seconds and jot down. What are some of the things that you value now? Write down as many as you can think of 
and then ask yourself the why behind each one. So in my family, um, we value empathy because we can be curious about each other and we can be so kind when we are putting ourselves in each other's shoes. Now we value kindness, kind of goes along hand, hand in hand with empathy. We value curiosity. I want my kids to ask the why behind everything. Even if it's something that I say, even if it's something like, I love you, you know, I want them to ask the why behind yeah. everything. Why did you even have me you know, as a kid? You know, why did you marry dad? You know, why did you go to BYU? Why were you a member of the church for so long? Why are you not a member, et cetera? I yeah. want them to be so curious about absolutely everything. Hard work is another value in my house. I like the kind of results that we get when we're all engaged in hard work. It is so satisfying personally, and we can mm -hmm. celebrate that satisfaction together as a family too. And that brings our family closer, helps us build connections. Yeah. I also like that, uh, a growth mindset of like, we celebrate hard work instead of innate unchangeable qualities like oh you're so smart you were ah. just born smart you know that's not really helpful instead yeah. we celebrate like oh you worked really hard on that because then as my kids grow up they don't have to feel like oh I'm not smart and that's a reflection of mm -hmm. who I am at the at my core and that just leads to self-esteem issues and discouragement from trying new things and getting better and yes. building this yeah yes. so we always want to the hard work that they do of trying over and over and over keep on building these skills don't give up keep honing your skills it's going to take a long time it's okay that you're not great at it right now yeah I I totally remember one of my earliest remembrances is realizing um when I tried something new that I failed and it literally like hindered me from wanting to try new things after that like Oh. I was so afraid of failure and I don't even remember exactly what it was that I failed at, but I remember that idea. So like when you said that, it's like, okay, like that, that actually really did hinder me from like trying new things or being curious about things. I, I just was like, nope, I'm just going to stay right here and I'm not going to, to veer left or veer right because I might fail. I might fall on my face and that would be embarrassing. And so I'm not even going to try. Mm -hmm. And so you just play it safe and you don't grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's so heartbreaking too. Yeah. Right. Like there were so many things that I didn't do out of fear of failing or not being good enough at it or being embarrassed. But like when you teach kids, um, you know, when you, when you encourage them through, you worked so hard on that. Like, even if they maybe weren't successful at something, but just to, to point out the, the hard work that they put into it or the, the trying, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this brings me to my next point about how to transition into this kind of parenting that we're talking about. Okay. And that is remembering it is a skill. We got so good at authoritarian parenting, didn't we? We mm -hmm. built up that skill from the time we hit young women's, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were going to all the young women lessons. We were learning how to become a good wife and mother. We were uh, studying the scriptures back and forth and learning all about this authoritarian style of being. Yeah. And, um, and didn't we learn how to be a, a good cook in the home and keep house? <laughs> how to feel? Oh my gosh, we had a young women activity one time and it was all sorts of like domestic kind of chores. What there was this like laundry folding game, see who could fold it the fastest. This is a really oh 
and and like all the cupcakes that we made and the, the bread that we made and this is a reflection of ourselves because when we grow up to be wife and mother this is our job and yeah. if we are not keeping house well we are failing at our job and that's a reflection of ourselves and that's just terrible that's a terrible mindset to be yeah. in because we all have messy houses unless we're like i don't know staying up super late at night and giving up on sleep to do it right. um uh or we have you know all sorts of help or whatever but if you're just doing it alone it can feel such like such a reflection of yourself mm-hmm. to feel like keeping house and stuff like that and being this good wife and mother so yeah. we prepared this whole, our whole lives to be a certain way and we honed those skills for so many years. If we're going to transition now to be an authoritative parent, teaching skills to our children, in the kinds of skills that we have decided we want to make sure that they learn, uh-huh. this is a new skill for us, isn't it? We yeah. are going from being the law enforcement officers uh-huh. to being the mentors. I was such a good law enforcement officer, super oh. good at it, 100%. Um, <laughs> And then to become a mentor instead and totally let go of that yeah. law enforcement uh, piece of it, that's a new yeah. skill. It's going to take time and that's okay. And so give yourself the grace and the time to get better and better and better at that. And when you do mess up, because you will, uh-huh. don't don't get discouraged. Keep uh, giving yourself encouragement. Be your own cheerleader. I can do this. I've got this. It's going to take time, but it's worth it. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question about that. This is just something that I'm currently dealing with in my household is um, just like chores, right? Like, so my my feeling is that I have a 10-year-old and that she should be helping to contribute to the household, right? Like, I don't think that's too much to ask to have her unload the dishwasher every day. Like, I... I actually feel bad that I'm not asking her to do more, but that's literally her only job, like unload the dishwasher and she needs to practice piano because she has, she takes piano lessons, but we keep having this discussion. She does not want to do that. And she, so I'm struggling with explaining to her why it's necessary. And I'm struggling to like, not immediately go to, there's a punishment if you don't do it, like you lose all your privileges or whatever. So there's, I don't know, I'm struggling with this. I know that sounds so dumb, but like we had this conversation the other day and she's like, well, so what happens if I don't do my chores? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she's, she's genuinely like calculating whether it's worth it to do it or not. And like, I want to make her come to the right conclusion. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm so you I'm so good at that right like you have to do it because I said so right like I'm so good at that but um I'm genuinely like trying to like help her come to the conclusion that that would be the best thing to yeah do, just be to do the thing so she like we talked about well you know you can't you can't play with your friends if you don't do your dishes or you can't you can't play on your tablet or your iPad or you can't watch TV, you know? So we talked about some of those things and then I got busy doing something else. And she, little smart brain of hers was like, well, mom didn't say that I couldn't play Minecraft on the computer. Of course. Right. Like I listed off all these other things, but I missed something. And so sure enough, like 20 minutes later, I noticed she's playing on the computer and I'm like, honey, you know, she's like, well, you didn't say that. 
I'm, I'm glad I'm dying over here because I can imagine this exact same conversation happening in my house. Well, you didn't say this thing. So I found yeah. the loophole. You didn't say it. I'm in the clear. Exactly. Exactly. So like, what am I doing wrong here? And how do I kind of like, how do you um, motivate your child to want to do the right thing? Because it's a value in our household. Like, I feel like I really do have a disconnect there. And she, she is like, she's a little bit sneaky. She will definitely tell a lie if she needs to, to help her get out of something. And I'm trying to make that not a moral failure, right? Like I'm trying to not like, like label that as like her not having a moral about lying. Like, I think kids just lie because it's want or it gets them out of something they don't want. So like, ugh, help walk me through this. I know it seems like a, maybe a trivial thing, but like, I do want her to understand that it's important to contribute to the household and the benefits that she gets from being in the household and all the things that we do for her. So is it okay for us to ask her to do something for us? You know, like I actually need her to unload the dishwasher, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes right down to it, who cares? Like I could do that job, but what is that teaching her? Like, is it, is that an important skill for me to really make sure I'm teaching her to contribute to the household mm-hmm. right down to it. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I love how you're, tra- you're transitioning from this uh, perspective of like, here is the rule and here are the consequences, rewards and punishments associated with that rule. The rule yeah. is you have to empty out the dishwasher and here's your punishments if you don't do it on time or whatever. Yeah. So we're transitioning away from that. And we're going to go to a values-based perspective Mm -hmm. and you're trying to engage with her and say like here are our values why it's good for you to to unload the dishwasher so I think you're super on the right track I would recommend uh during a time when it's like nobody's got big emotions going on things Uh are pretty chill go ahead Uh and talk to her about um a value that you guys have in the house which I'm assuming is fairness we don't want mom have to do all of the chores right like we love each other we respect each other I wouldn't ever want you to do all the chores and I know you wouldn't want me to have to do all the chores also if you really really hate doing the dishes is there a different way you can think of to help out around the house Mm -hmm. but things are a little bit more fair and and what what can you do and let's make a plan like what would be a good time of day to be doing that and um, okay. things like that. Yeah. And really get her engagement in that as much as possible. And maybe she'll find, you know, what? actually doing the dishes is probably the easiest to run the house. I'm going to go ahead and do that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I think it's okay for you to also say, and you're not going to play with your friends or have Minecraft or, or whatever until you get it done because yeah. their impulse control at that age is just not a skill that they're very good at yet. Mm. And so she might value fairness and she might want to do the dishes uh, in order to be a good contributing member of the family. Um, Mm. And so, you know, everything's not all on mom or dad's shoulders, Um, but she might also lack the impulse control to say no when her friend is out in the front yard saying, come play with me, come play with me. Or Minecraft 
calling and she's had a hard day at school and she just wants to zone out. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fair for you to impose those restrictions to say you can't have any screen time or anything. If you need to go chill on the couch with a book or whatever, because you've had a long day, someone was making fun, like whatever. There's flexibility. flexibility. Yeah. But we're not going to have certain privileges like screen times or like the extras, the luxuries on top until Mm. we've done first things first. So first things first include uh, we do the care tasks around the house so that our house Mm. stays functioning well for us. It's okay if our house is not pristine. That's fine. That's not a reflection of who we are, you know? Right. That's not the expectation. But we want our house to be functional and work Mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. Um, So how can we go about doing that? We take care of your body. If you need breast, you know, we need a snack. You can do that first. Absolutely. And we do the care tasks around the house. And then you can have the ice cream on top, you know, the Ah. ice cream on the cake or the extras, you know? So that's that's how I would go about that. Okay. See what she says. I love that. Um, the flexibility, like I tend to be a black and white thinker and to be kind of rigid. And I love the flexibility of saying, well, let's think about maybe if you really hate unloading the dishwasher, what are some other chores? And maybe I could throw out some really hard chores and help her recognize that unloading the dishwasher is a pretty simple thing, but like that option, like, Hey, you could clean the toilets instead, you know, or something like that. Um, and also I love your idea of like, maybe they, maybe she really does need to decompress after school. And I can offer some time for that instead of being rigid of like, you have to do this first, but giving, letting her have some input about what she needs in order to feel like she can contribute. Yeah. And maybe it's a before school thing. Maybe she might suggest, can I do it before school in the morning? And that way I don't have to worry about it when I get home and I can just zone out when I get home because I've been being told what to do all day long and the last thing I want to do is be told what to do when I get home also so right so what if she suggests how about I do chores after I play with my friends what would you say yeah yeah so I had okay little little side story I don't know if you ever had this lesson in young women's um but it was actually a helpful one and I like Ah. actually kept it So you get a a jar and you've got like sand and pebbles and bigger rocks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So the, the bigger rocks, like the biggest ones represent like the most important or maybe most time consuming things that you have to do in a day. And then the smaller rocks, like a little bit less urgent, maybe, or less important, or maybe less time consuming. And then the sand, that's just like the fun stuff that adds on, you know? So, um, and you have to prepare it really well beforehand to make sure everything fits first so you, get all your <laughs> big rocks, you put them in then small rocks put them in and then you get as much sand as you want and fill it up to the top right okay so yeah. everything's set for your lesson then yeah. you take the lesson and you teach it to your kids and you say what happens if we do the fun stuff first if we put in the sand first we put all the sand in first or and my kids are like let's not put all of it in let's save some of it later okay fine so I poured like more than half of it and they're like that's good yeah then we put in the big rocks then the smaller rocks and then guess what it didn't all fit. Mm. And so we took it back out and we tried again. And I told them, look, if you do the important stuff first and then the little less important stuff, I promise, I promise you will have time to play. You will have time 
to get everything done. And yeah. I've even um, subsequently to that conversation, we've had more conversations about it. We've looked at it with a clock, like here's how we can schedule out our day and a by, by time. And you can see if you get these things done at this time, look at this giant chunk of time you have at the end of the day for playing. Yes. I want you to play. That is, that's a big value for me is that my yes. children have time for independent, spontaneous, imaginative play. I yes. really want them to have that. Um, and so I encourage them, like, I want you to be able to fit all of this in a day, but we just got to do it in the right order. So that yes. would be another thing that I could, that maybe you could discuss with her. Maybe you could use the object lesson. Maybe not. It doesn't matter, but just yeah. if you can somehow like speak on her level, speak her language, however yes. it's meaningful for her and help her understand if you do things like first things first and in the right order, you will have time to uh, do all the things you need to do in the day. Yeah. I'm going to make I it because I can, I can hear all the moms being like, but I don't have time to do all the things in the day. I know. I'm not talking to you moms. We're talking about the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know that none of us have enough time to do all the things we need to do in a day. So this is not for us. Yeah. So it's really like teaching them about prioritizing the things and like, and, and I think that's a really good skill for them to learn because and yep. especially I have multiple ADHD children and oh. also like right borderline there. And so that is one really big challenge is time, like organizing my, my time and, and what, what, what's even the word I'm trying to come up with? Just time, time management, time, time management, all time blindness is huge. I have a husband with ADHD and a son with ADHD. The time blindness is real. Their minds can only conceive of now and not now. <laughs> and oh. it's really difficult, but that's another skill that they build over time. And maybe that skill is a little bit impaired to begin with. Maybe mm -hmm. they're not on the level with their peers as mm -hmm. far as that skill goes. And that's okay. And we can give grace for that. And we can give flexibility for that. Yeah. And we don't have to shame them for not being good at that. Yeah. Um, it's super important to understand where your kids are and work with them where they are. And don't yes. expect them uh, to necessarily have the same skills that their peers have you know don't punish yes. them for not being very good at that kind of thing yeah sure. I mean that was huge because my my first son had, was ADHD and then my daughter after him she wasn't and I was I couldn't believe how different they were and I was like but I'm doing the same thing for both of them but it's yeah. working in this situation and it's working fine in this situation so that was a huge learning curve that I had to figure out and now my, my youngest child, my 10 year old, she's just like her brother. Exactly. And so the whole, it's like, I'm reliving <laughs> this life over again. And this time I'm trying to do it better. Right. Cause I'm like, okay, I know better now I can do things a little bit better. And that's, that's, I think a huge lesson that I have had to remind myself over and over again. And I tell myself all the time when I know better, I do better. And so even though like we talked about the grief and the sadness of like the past things that I did, the mistakes that I made in my parenting, I sometimes get in a, in a real sad, sad, sad space of like just feeling the grief and that's okay too. Like, I'm not going to shame myself over, I'm going to allow myself to feel those things, but also I've, I've learned how to give myself some grace and to say, yeah, but I didn't, I did the best I could with what I knew at that time. And now I, now that I know better, I can do better. 
and it's still a practice. I don't do it perfectly. I fall back to those old patterns all the time because that's what I did for 40 years. I mean, yeah. Can't expect to just like change overnight just because I have all this great information now. It's still definitely a practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a good way of looking at it. I remember our kids need that encouragement, but we need it as well. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, I can't beat myself up for the mistakes I made forever and ever and ever. Like that, that's not helpful to my child now. And it's actually not helpful to my adult child who, who I'm trying to, you know, our relationship is repairing, but it doesn't always help. I mean, I've done a million apologies, <laughs> but it doesn't help me to be a better person if I'm just beating myself up over all the mistakes I've made. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So knowing better and doing better um, are two different things. Like knowing better is way easier than doing better. Yeah. <laughs> but they kind of follow each other. So hopefully as we learn and grow and practice all of these things, we have like a more positive outcome. So yes. that's actually the goal, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Action is not the goal. <laughs> That's right. And again, we're modeling that for our kids as well, because they can see us, especially as we're transparent about it with them, like, oh, this is what I'm going through and I'm yes. learning and I'm, I'm letting you know, this is, you know, where I'm at. Um, yes. I'm not necessarily emotion dumping on my kids, but I'm, I'm being transparent about this is my growth as well. And guess what they're learning from that, that they can do the same thing, that they can yes. go through their lives, building skills, messing up. And still getting back up and keep keeping on, keeping on and totally keep working amazing. on it and being positive with themselves. If they can hear us out loud, encouraging ourselves with a kind voice, and they're so much more likely to adopt that same style and speak to themselves with a kind, encouraging voice throughout their lives, because they are going to mess up and they're going to mess up so badly. <laughs> they're going to need to know that it's all right. They're not a bad, terrible person. They don't need to, you know, um, flagellate themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can get back up, uh, do better, you know, yep. and practice more. Yep. Yep. And just always keep that growth mindset of like, we're growing, we're learning, we're moving forward. We're not beating ourselves up. And that, that is actually huge because I see that in my son, his mm-hmm he can, he can, t- my adult son, um, he really tends to be super hard on himself and super critical of himself and have a lot of anxiety about mistakes or, you know, failures in, in whatever way. And that's definitely, that's the way I taught him. So there's a lot of, you know, trying to work to undo that. But one of the hugest things for me has just been to be able to apologize. Um, because I never received that as a child. I never, and I'm not as an adult either. I've never received an actual genuine apology from my parent for their mistakes. And I feel like apologies go a long way in healing, like to be able to admit like, Hey, I made mistakes or I was wrong about this and I shouldn't have behaved that way. Or I treated you this way. And I never wanted you to feel this feeling like I really, I I'm genuinely sorry about, you know, those mistakes that I made and I'm working to try to do better. Like, I feel like if I would have heard that from my parent, it would have made a huge difference 
And Mm -hmm. I want to model that for my kids, just even just the humility to say I was wrong and I I screwed up and I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. I think there's such a big difference between beating yourself up about something and taking accountability. You know, they're not, they're not the same thing. Our Mormon upbringing, especially mine, so I'm speaking from my experience, taught me that you need to have so much remorse. Alma's a younger type remorse. You're going to be in exquisite pain. And that that itself is refining, that is holy, that is sacred, to beat yourself up and to give yourself this exquisite pain shaming yourself, telling yourself what a terrible person you are, what a terrible thing that you did. Now we don't have to go the total opposite way of the end of the the pendulum and say, oh, I'm not going to apologize for anything or feel bad for anything. Absolutely not. It's not one or the other. Instead, we can recognize the depth of harm that we did. And we can allow ourselves to sit in that pain understanding the depth of harm that we did without letting that paralyze us and make us think that we can't get better or make things better. It's okay to grieve. It's good. It is so good to grieve and understand the depth of harm that you've done. And when you apologize, indicate to them that you understand this is a really big deal. It's not a flippant, oh, I'm so sorry if your feelings got hurt. Right. Not that we, I see what my parenting did to you. I see that it made you feel unsafe in your own home. Oh I God. see that it made you have panic attacks. And I am so sorry. Oh I God. did not know that that would happen. I promise I am working on myself. I recognized my triggers, what makes me escalate. And I promise I'm working on that. And I won't do that to you again. That's the kind of apology that our kids need. Um, and we keep apologizing to them for as long as it is helpful to them. And it's important that we don't apologize just to feel like we got it off of our chest because it makes me feel better. Like I have relieved myself of this burden when I apologize to someone that is not an okay kind of apology. We apologize when we uh, understand that our loved one needs an apology right then. They need to hear it. They need to hear that we understand we made them feel unsafe and that we promise that uh, we are trying so hard to be that safe person for them that they really need. And that way we can build those bridges of trust. We can build the connection and we can heal the hurt that has that has been, ha- uh, been happening for who knows how long. Yeah. Wow. That is so powerful. I had not considered maybe like, am I apologizing to get it off my chest to relieve me of the burden or am I apologizing because my child needs it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a really good question to ask myself. Yeah. So we apologize as often as we think our kids need it. And again, we're going to work to be really in tune with them and have empathy for them. We're going to be a safe person for them so that they can talk to us Mm -hmm. and know 
that we're not going to jump down their throat and be like, oh, come on, you know, I was having a hard time that day, yeah. you know, or, you know, oh, that was back when I was Mormon. Like, you can't hold that against me. You know, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're going to sit with them in, yeah. in that and they're going to learn from us doing that over and over and over again, that they can continue to come to us and share their hurt with us and share with us times that we have harmed them so yeah. that we can up to that and we can be accountable for that and well, become more safe for them. That just, oh yeah, because the experience that I had in, and I didn't even plan on talking about this, but I love this conversation because one of the experiences I had in sort of confronting my mom about some of the pain and the trauma that I experienced as a kid, what ended up happening is that she became very fragile mm. and she was like, oh, I was a terrible mother. And she became, she was brokenhearted about it. Um, but it didn't feel like she was really apologizing because instead she was like making excuses and like being like, but it was just so hard and you don't understand how I felt and what I went through. And I'm just so broken about this. And like, she was just like a puddle and I walked away, not really feeling validated at all. I walked away feeling like, okay, I never should have said anything because now heart is broken. Now she thinks she's a terrible mother. Um, she's just too fragile to handle hearing my experience. Right. And so I don't want to do that to my child. And I do tend to have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions, but I try to like, it's, you know, when I apologize to my kid to just be really sincere about it. Like, for example, a couple, I don't know, a week ago or something, I had had this thought come to me. I remembered my daughter who she was just, I mean, just past 16. She had, um, she had, <laughs> she had snuck out. She snuck out in the night, um, to go hang out with her friend, 16 or 17. And she hit a deer on the highway. As oh, no. So she comes into my room in the middle of the night and she's like, mom, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and, um, I was still in the church at this time, but I, I think I had, you know, I was in the process. So I was a little more nuanced, but I definitely, I don't think that I responded very well. And my memory of it was me kind of being like, well, that's what you get for sneaking out, you know, like karma, it's karma, bitch. Like yeah. what happens, this bad thing happened because you made a bad choice. You know, I feel like that was the way I responded. And I brought it up to her. I'm like, do you remember that? Like, what was that conversation like in your perspective? Like, how, how did I make you feel? Like, I genuinely wanted to know and I wanted her to feel safe sharing with me like how that went, because you know how like your memory could be totally different than somebody else's memory. So, um, yeah, but she said, oh no, mom, you were great. Like I expected you to totally freak out and get so mad at me, but like, she's like, you said, I'm so glad you're safe and please don't ever do that again. <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Oh, what a relief to hear. I'm sure. I was like, okay, I was totally stressed about that because I thought, man, in the scariest moment of your life, I probably just made you feel bad about what that choice was that you made, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, no, that's not, that wasn't my experience at all. Like, I think you rocked it. Like you it responded exactly how I needed it and you gave me a hug. And I was like, 
oh good <laughs> wow 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 I'm so glad okay so when you talked about your conversation with your mom all I could think of was you came to her with these really hurt feelings trying to build a bridge trying to gain some connection trying to gain some understanding mm -hmm. and you responded by making you take care of her feelings absolutely that's something that's so difficult as a parent to try not to do with our children yes. and so that's we can learn from her example right we can learn from her bad example don't do yes. that when your kid is coming to you because they're hurt the first thing the first words out of your mouth should not be well you need to understand why I did it and uh and I my feelings you know yeah yeah, what I was going through, how how right, hard this right. was for me. Yeah. They came to you with their feelings. That's vulnerable. That's really vulnerable. That was risky. That was brave of them to even bring that up. And so what we want to do is recognize that and validate them. And if you want to explain your feel like your whatever later, fine. But first mm -hmm. make sure they feel safe with you because you're saying I see, I see you. I see yes. your feelings. The validation is so huge. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Because now I will never talk to my mom again about. Right. Now you've learned she's not right? a safe person to go to about stuff like that. Right. I cannot get vulnerable with her and share why I was hurt or what I was hurt about because it'll just come back on me. And then I have to babysit her feelings and make her exactly. like, no, mom, you weren't a terrible mother, blah, blah, blah. And it's just right. It's exhausting. Yep. Yeah. So let's not be that parent. Let's be the parent who can handle their own emotions and feelings, accept responsibility for mistakes, mm -hmm. not put it on our kids to fix whatever we did wrong. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Oh, I love it so much. I love talking to you about this. I love this conversation and I love the work that you're doing. Um, I want to say to my listeners, like anyone who is not already following Rachel with post-Mormon parenting, please go follow her. Like she's amazing. This is awesome. You have such good insight. You really do have great wisdom. Um, like you aren't just talking the talk. I, it really feels like you are walking this path with us, um, learning as you're also teaching, like, and as you like go, well, maybe that didn't work out so well. Maybe I, you know, just always having like a growth mindset, I think is so important because as soon as, I mean, the one thing I've noticed with parenting is like, as soon as you think you have it down, you get thrown a curveball and you're like, I know nothing. Right. Absolutely. Yep. What are some other resources that you have used in, in your journey and what, what are you reading? What are you looking at? Raising Free Thinkers, that one is just a gold mine of so, so many really great takeaways. Yes. Um, another one that I really enjoyed reading was uh is called Untigering, Peaceful oh. Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. And it's written by Iris Chen. She is Chinese and American, and she talks about this uh, very authoritarian style of Chinese parenting that she grew up Ooh. with and how she's deconstructing from that and learning how to be a peaceful parent. So the similarities are huge, so many parallels. Yeah. Um, that was a really helpful book to read. Um, there's also uh, all the three books by Dr. Shefali Sabari. She wrote The Awakened Family, The Conscious Parent, and Out of Control, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work and What Will. 
all of them, they really hit home to kind of what we've been talking about already. Like we're going to be skill building with our kids, not like punishing them for getting things wrong. Mm. Um, and it's, just, it's a really, really good deep dive into that kind of mindset. Highly, highly recommend any, any one of those really. Okay. There's also the explosive child by Ross Green. And again, biggest takeaway from that book is there's reasons behind everything, uh, behind all of their behaviors. There's always reasons get down to the nitty gritty, get down to the why behind mm-hmm. the actions. Um, don't just write them off as like a problem child or whatever. Right. Um, there's also, um, one that I'm reading right now, which is called how to keep house while drowning by Casey Davis. She okay. is another TikToker, um, ADHD mom. Ooh. And she recently, she recently did a Ted talk also. So you can find her Casey K C Davis on YouTube. If you look up her Ted talk, she did it in, um, okay. October, so just a few weeks ago from now. And, um, you, you know, probably thinking like, wow, what does keeping house have to do with this? But it, really helps like take the morality and the judgment out of oh my gosh my sink is full of dishes and my laundry is exploding and uh, this is such a reflection on me and instead Mm -hmm. how can we create a a home space that is functional for us we don't exist to take care of our house our house exists to take care of us so we just need to make sure that it's functional and I just feel like the curiosity behind everything and taking out the moral judgments behind everything. Um, lastly, nice. there are some children's books that I absolutely adore. Um, so reading out loud with your children, just handing your children to read. Mm-hmm. And it's the Annabelle and Aiden series. These are secular books that discuss uh, what happens when we die. Oh. Uh, there's one called Sapiens. Uh our human evolution. And in fact, I read that book on out loud on YouTube. So if you go, if you type in on YouTube, sapiens, our human evolution, you can find me reading that book out loud. So if you don't want to have to like go buy it first, you know, want to see what it's about. Yeah. Nice. Informative, even for like a lot of uh, Mormons, a lot of us who were raised, like we didn't know anything about evolution. It's very informative, even for us. Um, Also uh, the story of life uh, and Oh, my, one of my favorites that they put out a little more recently than the others is called, Oh, the things we believed. And it's a story about like human history and all the different kinds of things that we believe, because I want my children to be religiously literate. I want them to understand the different kinds of religion, why they're so enticing, what their peers um, might be learning and why, and like the history, like why uh, human or what kind of things humans have believed over time and so they don't fall into the trap of like their friends saying like oh we believe in god or you don't believe in god well actually there's like so many different gods and so many different ways of believing in god and so many Mm -hmm. different definitions of god or multi-theism or monotheism or um atheism you know like there's Mm -hmm. options than just like you believe or you don't believe so love love all those books and my kids like like them too they rhyme they're cute they have good illustrations um 100 highly recommend just get the whole series yeah they're all super good okay um, i love for kids age if you're gonna be reading out loud probably ages like five on up really like even okay. as you're five they'll, they'll get it really well um 10 year old it would work for a 10 year old yes too young for a 10 year old no, I don't think it's too young for a 10-year-old. I want to okay. say probably probably about to 10, maybe up to 12, depending okay. on your kid. 
Okay. That's great. I love that. Those are all really great ideas. I'll have to make sure. And I put, I'll put all those things in the show notes for the podcast so people can look at those. And if you aren't already following Rachel, follow her on Instagram at post-Mormon parenting. Um, Your YouTube channel is just called post-Mormon parenting, right? That's right. Yep. And then TikTok as well. Oh yes. Uh, TikTok as well. I also did an interview with uh, Mormon stories with Margie Dillon. That was really fun also. That was so good. That interview with Margie, like I cried so many times in the interview. <laughs> I just feel like when you tell your story about like the experiences you had in parenting and like your son and stuff, I just felt so many connections. I was like, oh my gosh, she is like telling my story. Like, I feel like we are the same person. <laughs> you know, I've heard that from so many other parents also. Like, Isn't it that is crazy? So- common and isn't it nice to see yourself yes. there too and it's so validating for me to hear other people say oh that was my experience as well um yeah I I love it I'm so glad I'm so glad for feedback from people so also if anyone if anything speaks to you like let me know yes. <laughs> it also feels really good when I get positive feedback because it is a labor of love and that makes me want to do it even more when I know that people are are really getting something from it so Totally. That is the reason why we're in this space. Like it's so validating to have someone say, yes, me too. Like I experienced that. I feel that too. Or also like, thank you so much for helping me see like another perspective of this. And, you know, so yeah, that, that is, that's so fun. And I love like just getting to know other people in this space. So thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to meet you and talk to you and interview you today and have this conversation. I think it's just hopefully super helpful. I've had multiple people reach out and say to me, Hey, do some more episodes on parenting. This is something I'm struggling with. This is something I want to know more about. This is something I need help in this area or whatever. And I even had, so I have a teenage, well, no, he's an adult now he's in his twenties now, but I think of him as a kid. Cause he's my, my son's friend, but he listens to my podcast religiously. And he said, I love hearing your perspective on parenting because like, I never hear that in the ex-Mormon community. And I was like, wow, great. Thank you. Like for saying that. So he actually really loved that episode. The one of the episodes that I did before just talking and I'm not an expert at all, but I'm just talking about my experience in parenting. And it's, it's just a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. So I love it. Yeah. Oh, I, that is so cool. Like as a 20 year old, he doesn't even have kids, does he? No, no, no. That's really awesome. Yeah. 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 And I I have my teenage daughter, my 18 year old, her, one of her friends listens to my podcast. Like all the, she's listened to all the episodes. I'm like, it's so crazy that young people are listening. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I never would have thought that's, that's really, really cool. And super validating. Yeah, I'm super honored to be in this space with you. And I'm so glad that you invited me on here today. I love having these conversations. I think few other things in life are as important to me as me too. We are, you literally have other people's lives in your hands and their self-esteem and their vulnerability. It's really huge. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Grateful to be talking to you today. And I'm so glad we had so many good things to talk about. And yeah. thank you so much for having me on and for preparing everything in advance. And for sure, if anybody wants to contact me, um, and if you have any other really good parenting resources that you want to send my way so that I can put them out there on my platforms and everybody can benefit. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we're all in the share. Together. 
we're all on the same team, you know? Yes, I love that. Thank you so much. Whoa, whoa, whoa.